Everybody and welcome to Sonic Talk number two. No, it's not 276. It's 278. I must get on to my lower third people. They didn't get that together at all. Uh, recording today live on Wednesday. The ooh, what is the date today? It's the 8th of August 2012, and uh, we've got a fulsome chat room and a fulsome panel. So I want to thank everybody for joining us and thank everybody for listening last week. Of course, we had um, Mr. Darren Price from Underworld, which uh, was a very interesting. Uh, an interesting and enlightening program about the Olympic uh, opening ceremony and the music and the tech that went into that. So if you get a chance, go back and uh, listen to that. And this week we've got another guest, actually, a sort of, uh, I guess we'd call him a sonic talk virgin, but in the nicest possible way. Um, we'll, but what I'm going to do before I do that, I think I'll introduce everybody else and then I'll play your video and then we'll introduce you. How's that for a tease? That sounds pretty good. That's a good tease. That is a good tease, right. So first of all, we'll say hi to Mr. Rich Hilton, who's there in sunny Connecticut um, back home, finally. How long are you back for? Uh, the foreseeable future. Ah, so are you all kind of done and, and, um, and kind of just your touring days for a while are a little over. Is that good? Uh, yeah, well, I'm happy to be home. Yeah, I know. It must be good. Do you have, we have a lot of fun. I noticed you were tweeting oh, yeah. pictures of Ireland and what have you. Yes, I had a great time. I'm and really glad to hear that. Met some unbelievably enthusiastic audiences. Fabulous. Fabulous. Well, um, I hope you have a restful time and your, all your jet lag is over as soon as it possibly can be. But uh, thank you very much. Of course, Rich has been on the road with Chic, I should mention. Chic, uh, the, uh, the legendary disco band, and is presumably back, um, back in the studio with Noel Rogers, where he mans the controls for his private facility out there in the US of A. And uh, we'll also say hello to Mark Tinley. If Mark can talk, then I will get him. Uh, I'll, I will assign him a square in our little celebrity square thing. Mark Tinley, talking, how, uh, talking and being on celebrity squares. That's there. You go, Mark Tinley, lightbeing.com, um, creative hello. thinker and sound artist. Uh, with your very good flesh tone on that new webcam, I have to say you're looking very <laughs> rosy and healthy, and not at all. No, it's Gina's birthday present computer that I'm on today. <laughs> ah, yes, of course. I remember you saying that. That sounded a bit like uh, buying the wife a Black and Decker. Yes, but I know she's she's, she's right very technical. She's very. Te- no, now you've got me in trouble because she's, she's standing right here. She's very technically minded. I know she's. Uh, so I'm sure she's very cool about that. Anyway, so I'm sure she loved the present too. She's de- no, she's but, laughing. She's la- oh my god, she can hear me. Hi, Gina. <laughs> anyway, uh, Mark, uh, thank you for joining us as well. Uh, I'm glad you could make it. I know in these busy school holiday times, it's very tricky. In fact, my daughter was sitting over there until just a few moments ago. Um, so I managed to uh, uh, palm her off with a few flash games. Uh, what's it called? Um, Friv.com is oh, the one, apparently. Okay. If you're into all of that to me. Anyway, Mark, thank you very much for joining us. And also, we're going to go to uh, Gaz Williams, who's uh, back from uh, Japan, where he was out um, with... Well, tell us what you're doing, Gaz, and I can switch to you in my Celebrity Square switcher, switching matrix. Um, I was networking, really, I think. Um, that was my main... There he is. Yeah, I was networking. That was my kind of reason for going over there. I had some great opportunities, so... Um, I went over for some uh, some meetings and to uh, just to get to visit Japan, which for the that was for the first time for me, and I was really really taken with the place. Uh, yeah, I know 
know Rich is a big fan of the the Japanese, and I can completely concur. It's such a wonderful, wonderful place, and the people just so wonderful. I had a wonderful time, and uh, I went to the Fuji Rock Festival whilst I was there as well, and that was a that was incredible. I had an amazing, amazing festival really cool <laughs> brilliant well, i'm very glad to hear that gaz and uh, i thank you very much also for tweeting your first twit pic which was a picture of a high-tech japanese toilet uh, did it live up to everything you expected it to we we, we had to ask because we were wondering at the time whether it uh, fulfilled your needs <laughs> oh yeah it was amazing i was uh, I, I was stupid really but i was so excited about <laughs> trying out the toilet you know i just i just didn't know what all them controls could possibly do of course i had sort of sit there and work them all out you know? <laughs> i don't I, think I, uh, I want to know what all of them do but uh yeah I'm, I'm glad i'm glad it worked for you anyway gaz oh yeah you do all right <laughs> don't the don't the japanese have a thing about background noise while they're going to the toilet i don't think we're, okay. I, I really don't know but perhaps i, I was going to do a link there and you ju- you'll love this one so I, i'm essentially from one piece of japanese technology to two more pieces of Japanese technology and I will play an introductory video and then we'll talk to our special guest. And if you saw this, this was the Juno 2012, which is two Juno 106s kind of put together in a fabulous case, reminding me very much of a sort of Prophet 10 type vibe. And beautifully lit and shot there, if I may say so, Mr. Alan Decker. Just... got a Juno 106 and I was really thrilled. There's lots of different modes that this can work in. I'm sure Alan will be able to tell us a bit about it. Do my best. Yeah. Well, I'm going to switch now. Um, Now I'm going to bring you in. We have indeed Mr. Alan Dicker, who is the man who made this this, this fabulous device. And it really is, I have to say, it's a work of genius. It actually looks like it was meant to be. What what was it that kind of, where did it come from? Come on, tell us, tell us how it came about. Well, I had um, a Juno Runner 6, and um, a few bits of it were poorly, and, you know, it could have done with some new bits here and there. So um, I went to eBay, which is the place to go for these things these days, it seems, um, to look for an an old broken one for parts. And I managed to find one for about £90 I paid for it. Wow. I got it back home, um, and it wasn't quite as broken as I was led to believe, and it seemed a shame to just, you know, chop it up for parts. Um, and then I just thought, what if I put both of them together? Wow. So, you know, because one of the keyboards on one of them was gone and the chorus circuitry on the other one needed looking at and whatnot. Um, so I thought I'd put them all together, run it all through the chorus of one of the machines um, and hook it up with the um, MIDI SISEX, which is the system exclusive inside it, which is designed very well in the Juno 106 to be able to do that, to hook two of them up. Oh, really? So, so you, I mean, this is the one thing that I wanted to know about it. I mean, mm. uh, uh, we'll have um, some input from other people as well. So do you have to have the same programs in both or do they just dump to each other, if you see what I mean? Because that's the thing, because they are separate entities effectively, aren't they? They're separate entities inside the box. I've hardwired um, MIDI across the CPU boards inside. Um, and I can load from the master unit to the slave unit, which is the unit higher up to to the back of the um, machine. Right. Um, I can't bring programs down from that one to the front, but I can still load programs, any program I want, into each machine. And um, what makes it quite useful is, you know you've got on the back a program switch, performance switch, goes into three modes. 
Using that, we can load the same patches to both units or individual patches to each unit. So a complementary patch can be on the slave unit that goes with the master unit. That gets confusing. Ah, I see. So does the system exclusive work on a buffer edit buffer basis, or is it actually um, just actually write it straight into memory when you dump the, dump it that way? Well, no, it's not. It's not a question of dumping. It's um, it's live. Um, so if I move a slide on the front one, it affects the back one as well. If I have the program switch in the correct position for that to happen. Oh, awesome! I see. Yeah. I see. So it's right. almost it's almost like um, control. You know, CC MIDI messages, but a bit pre that. You know, predates it a bit. That's just absolutely. Mad. I've got a Juno one hundred six here, which is a bit poorly. Mm. Actually, it's got a dead voice. Or more than yeah. one dead voices, and because uh, you you kind of is what you know you describe yourself as. Uh, uh, let me see how it, a specialist music composition, sound design, and also synthesizer technician and modifier. I mean, is that are you kind of the guy who fixes everybody's synths locally for for your community? Um, I try to be. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't got a huge community here to be honest with you, but um, I've got a few um, clients that come to me. Uh, with different things, um, uh, we've got a chap. Um, do you know Ott? You know any of his music? No, He's, I'm not um, familiar with it. But uh, is he a Juno six one one hundred six user? Um, um, Korg Monopoly of his, ah. I modified and prepared for him. Oh, really? What, and what? Uh, TB three hundred three as well. What do you do to Korg Monopoly? Because I've got one of those too. I think they're fantastic synthesizers. Um, I made uh, Oscillator one um, be mixable with the LFO so that you can modulate the filter frequency or the pitch um, with Oscillator 1, kind of similar to the effects section, but it's quite ah, so it gives you a much higher frequency range of the Oscillator? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, interesting. Um, I'm just, I, I think this is a wonderful um, device. So what's the kind of, you know, you, you've got one Juno 106. Yeah. It looks like two Juno 106s is a much more significant synthesizer. What's the kind of the biggest sort of surprise that you found by putting them together? Um, well, the most basic surprise um, is that obviously the 106 is a single oscillator per voice synth. So they give you that big rolling chorus to fatten that up a lot. Um, but if you've got two oscillators, you can detune them and that's like the classic sound we all enjoy in synthesizers. So that's one benefit there. The other benefit is um, custom circuitry I built in there to have polyphonic um, modulation of the filter of the master unit from the audio output of the slave unit, um, which opens up the kind of sounds you can make into like bell ringing FM sounds and vocal sounds. I was wondering about that. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering about that. Yeah, well, so- I wanted to make it more than just having two Junos together. I wanted to expand the kind of sounds you could make with it as well. Nice, Mark. I, det- well, I, det- I detect, I detect well, that you perhaps have uh, have a special. Lo- you were you a fan of the, the Juno One Hundred Six? Is slap bang in the middle of my sort of programming life. I'm guessing it might well be in in yours too. Yeah, right? I think it's it's in the middle of mine as well. Uh, but it didn't work in the same way as an SH One Hundred One, which was at the beginning of mine, perhaps. So and um, so there's a. Uh, I think the JX Three P probably works more like an SH One Hundred One, and I never quite got round my head around. Although, having said that, an SH-101's only got one oscillator as well, but I never quite got my head around something about the architecture of the 106. I think it was the high-pass filter or something was just beyond like where I was at at that particular time. 
But while we were opening the show, I did watch the video. And about halfway through the video, I sat there and I thought, that's starting to sound like it's in profit territory, like, uh, you know, those bell tones. And I was thinking, I've used 106 millions of times, and they're very good for bass lines, and that is like kind of the classic house bass line sound, isn't it? So yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, that kind of sub end of it. And I've never really heard one going, kind of going into that bell ter- territory. And then I was thinking... I, you know, I probably tried to program things like that on it, and I couldn't get my head quite round how you were doing it, and thought there must be something special going on. So, I mean, you're basically your frequency modulating one of the 106s with the other one. Is that right? Yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm Brilliant. The filter. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, it brought the whole thing to life for me. It's yeah. Well, it makes it much more interesting if you can have that many more sounds, doesn't it? Um, it was inspired by the Prophet Five because I've, I've a Prophet Five Rev Two, which sits just below it on the keyboards, and that's got that brilliant polymod section where you can yes. modulate the pitch and the filters. Now, I couldn't modulate the pitch of the 106 because it's digital oscillators, and you have to go into the through the CPU to affect the pitch. As the filter is purely analog, I could just tap into those circuits and keep it all analog. Right. Yeah. So, so it's a whole lot more than just two synths sitting next to each other. You've yes. cross-patched a cool. few things as well. Cross-patched it and modulated oh, it. Oh, wow, awesome. Yeah. Rich Hilton, are you, um, uh, did you, have, you be, have you used Juno 106? Is that something that's in your kind of uh, um, arsenal of fond synthesizers? Sure. Great synth. I'm just wondering, um, Alan, as well. What yeah. what did you uh, what did you actually kind of? What well, now you've made it and you put it online and it's sort of like you're using it as a kind of you know calling card to your services. Yeah. What's actually happened as a result? I mean, have people gone? Can I buy that? I want that one. Can I buy it? I mean, what what's sort of happening with with that whole thing? Because I imagine you know, I mean, I immediately thought I want one of those. I, I probably mm. could never afford it, but I would love to have one. Yeah. Um, well. I, I have had, you know, inquiries and whatnot based on the 106 and for other synths. Um, the only problem I've really had with the 106 is um, not only does someone have to find two 106s, they have to get them to me. So if they're in like America or something, you've got to post two 106s to me and then I can put them together. Then you've got to post a larger bespoke synth back to you. So the price starts to add up there. Yeah, the shipping, um, I'd imagine, yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially if you want to cover it with insurance and all the rest of it. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I offer that for between sort of around about the 600 mark, so it's about the price of another Juno again. Oh, um, right, so, I mean, that's just for you to build two into a case, right, in the, in the same that, way that you've done there? Yeah, if you've bought me two synthesizers, two Junos, um, it cost you 600 for me to put them together into a case. That, that, that's, I mean, that sounds eminently reasonable. I mean, the other, the, the external costs are nothing you can personally do about it, but that sounds like something mm. that I would, I would just love to have one of those things. Gaz, I'm, I'm, I'm detecting that you have a, you, I mean, look at the picture of it. Isn't it beautiful? Gaz? Is Gaz there? Oh, I can see him, but I can't hear him. He's looking very puzzled. Hello? Yeah. Are you there? <laughs> have we lost you? I can you hear me now. Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear yeah, us? Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, nobody's gone. <laughs> 
So what's next then, Alan? Have you got something um, else up your sleeve? Um, well, always thinking of new things to do and new modifications. Um, I'm actually sort of looking into um, producing kits that people can um, put into their own synthesizers, like uh, the Prophet 5 doing a five you know, separate voice out kit and things like that, or a little miniature mixer board that you could build in there. Ah. So you pan the voices around like you do in the old um, Oberheims and those large OB12s and whatnot. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah. So just sort of modification. I wonder how many uh, Juno 106s there are out there. Have you got any kind of sense of that? I mean, I have no idea how many they made. I'm guessing there were a few, a few, a fair few thousand because it was one of the first sort of affordable polys, wasn't it? it? Yeah, it was a um, budget synthesizer, so I'm sure they made a large run of them. And I always see them coming up on eBay. Um, obviously, I've always got my eyes out to stick another couple together and sell that resulting synth as well. Um, so, yeah, I think I think there's quite a large production run on them. Nothing like the X7 level, but, you know. Mm, no, I guess not. But, yeah, beautiful, beautiful work. And I, I'm guessing, you know... I, I, I've noticed something. Oh, yes, go, Mark. Yeah. I've noticed something recently, and have, I don't know if anyone else has. Um, I was, sort of thought I might get back into making some Acid House tracks, and then I thought, oh, I wonder how much 303s go for on eBay. So I whacked 303 in, on eBay, and I discovered there's something called an XOXOX box, yeah. which is basically people have taken the circuit board from the 303 and re-etched it and made a copy of it, bought, you know, they collect up all the components together, um, uh, blow the EEPROMs into... Uh, a new set of EEPROMs and basically build you an, an exact clone of a 303. And 303s are selling for about 12, 13, 14, 1500 pounds, wow. yeah, right? But the XOXO, XOXO, whatever box it is, uh, they're selling for just over 300 pounds with someone having built one, or you can buy it as a kit for wow. some less. Mm. But I'm thinking, I guess some of these things, I mean, uh, I, there must be some copyright on, Ro, uh, you know, Roland's proprietary kind of circuitry and everything. But um, did I'm they did they not uh, open source the uh, three hundred three? Um, I had a feeling they, they opened oh, okay. open well, source the circuit board because I, I I had a feeling that they did actually for the old really older stuff. Could be wrong. Often am. I mean, but given that you know, there's loads of these things turning up on eBay and they're selling. And I, I talked to somebody about making one for me, and he said, well, I've made 15 this month, and I've only got one left, so you better be quick. And then uh, he said, actually, sorry, I had to sell that, but I'll be making some more next month. So, if, you know, there's a demand for those, um, for other classic Roland synths to put them in kits. Maybe there's a demand for that as well. That's uh, Sorry. There is, uh, there's some... Uh, especially MIDI ones. Yeah, no, there's some uh, links coming out for the uh, XOX box, com collection, the XOX box. I think that's uh, a French guy, apparently, they say. Um, there was a market not long ago for um, 106 chips, wasn't there? Yeah, voice chips. I was after one because I, I was trying to... Uh, I need to replace mine. Yeah. But anyway... Well, Alan, thank you very much for coming on. Appreciate your time, and I wish you the very best of luck, and I hope that you can kind of make that work and be very interested. Yes, we, I'd like to see a Monopoly 10, please. Monopoly <laughs> I'll get to work on that one for you. That sounds absolutely <laughs> awesome. But um, Could I just ask um, if people would like to 
visit my website and have a look at other modifications and whatnot I've made up on there. And I've got music and I've got my audio post-production stuff. That'd be really great. Yeah, okay. audiopresto.com, dash presto. The link is up on the dot line now. I, I, sorry, audio dash presto.co.uk. It's, uh, it's right. right there. Uh, you can see it. And, and, uh, whereabouts, I think whereabouts in the country are you, Alan? I'm um, southeast UK, just north of Basingstoke, if you know Basingstoke. Oh, right, OK. Yeah, not, yeah. Far. not far from M3 or um, M4, so it should be fairly easy. Excellent. Anyway, thank you very much for joining us. Much not appreciated. A I'm really um, glad that was a very short-noticed appearance, and thank you very much. Now, I'm just gonna well, thanks for having me. Yeah. You're welcome. Cheers. Okay, right. I'm going to rejig this a little bit. Let's see how that's going. Okay, um, I think at this point I'll just go straight into an ad because then I can um, I can I can rejig all of the Skype while uh, while that's happening. Anyway, thanks to our sponsors. This is Yamaha, of course. Yamaha, uh, world of applications, um, a long-time sponsor of the podcast. This is a l- rather lovely animation they've made of. Uh, of all their applications, these are lots and lots of iPad applications. Over 20 available in the music category alone, uh, from simple MIDI control apps. Uh, there's actually the synth arp and drum pad app, which has got a built-in synth with 61 sounds, and seven drum kits, five songs. You can kind of do your own uh, composition on it, and also control external MIDI stuff. Very, very nice. The setlist organizer, which I really enjoyed, which allows you to send out MIDI program changes and have notes and what have you. Uh, what we're looking at is edit control there edit and control multi-edit this is the multi-editor essential quick edit functions a mixer effects and MEQ modes are compatible with the Motif XF MOX S90X S70XS Motif XS and Rack XX and also there's a voice editor essential which gives you again uh, voice effects EQ cutoff resonance envelope filter portamento XY pad for real time control there goes the set list as you can see now actually Motif again for the same power, uh, same models uh, record and share with cloud audio recorder there's a whole bunch of applications and they're all very reasonably priced and some really good programming and nice work gone into them I uh, thoroughly recommend that you check them out so once again check, go to uk.yamaha.com for a world of applications uh, and thanks to Yamaha for this continued sponsorship of the show right then folks uh, we lost Gaz we, we lost your video you seem to be um, let's have a look see if I can get Gaz back Gaz are you, are you there are you back again Hello. No sign of Gaz. Have we got Gaz? Hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you. You keep dropping in and out of uh, focus today. I'm not quite sure what's going on there. Mm. It's just one of those days, isn't it? I mean, what can I say? Just that's the way it's, it does go sometimes. Anyway, um, thank you very much everybody, for, for joining us, uh, Alan, once again. And uh, we can go straight on to... Um, oh, I like this one. Pictures of nice studios. Now, this has got rather an... un. Uh, unweb friendly uh <laughs> title uh which is uh, i won't pronounce it but i'll switch to it but these are s- some great workflow studio uh great shot oops studio porn i'll just do that and there's some just really amazing it's a collection of uh, on tumblr of just some really lovely studios there i don't know whether or not uh do you recognize any of these? I suspect that, Rich, you might have actually been to some of these places. I think one of them looks a little bit like the top room in uh, at Real World, but I'm not entirely sure. Some great stuff there. Actually, Rich, none of those are yours, are they? Uh, no, I didn't see anything that I had designed. 
uh, up there. There is a picture of uh, Power Station A, which is either, which I believe that particular picture is a studio out in Connecticut called Sonalist, because after Tony Bon Jovi left Power Station, he built Studio A into some place out east in uh, Connecticut. Some gray and spaces. I think there. that's what that picture is. Ah, okay. Rather I mean, than the actual Studio A. The Studio A was shrouded in mystery for decades, and they wouldn't allow photographs in there. Really? Yeah, it was seen as a proprietary design, and they didn't want it copied for a long time. Now, now there's pictures galore of the place. But back then, uh, it was like verboten to take a picture in the... Uh, inside the studio rooms. That's strange, isn't it? Whereas now everybody kind of just wants to promote the hell out of it so they can get some business. Because, I mean, these, a lot, I guess a lot of these shots are studios that are perhaps, you know, on, not, not doing as well as perhaps they were in their golden years. Because as we know, some I mean, studios are struggling a little bit because we can all do it at home on our laptops, right? <laughs> I noticed a number of lovely uh, Neve Melbourne uh, consoles, which is like the one we have at Niles. And... Uh, I yeah, uh, let me see if I can find one there. I think They've there's one there. Really nice one. There's a TL audio. I think there was one, one a picture of black and white picture where there were two of them sitting side by side. That was just gorgeous. Let me see if I can that was, find that. That was the most possibly the most drool worthy moment for me. That's very nice. Which I guess you know kind of places me as pretty old school, but that's how I see it. I can, yeah, there are quite. I mean, they're pretty popular as uh, studio desks, aren't they? These, uh, um, the Neves. I mean, is it, uh, they were originally for broadcast, right? Yes, yes, they were uh, two channel desks uh, and intended for broadcast for the most part, you know, with a couple of aux throws and stuff. And they usually get modified in some way or another. And uh, we have ours, uh, we have separate channel outputs for each of the 12 channels in ours. So if you wanted to use it as 12 Neve inputs uh, to multi-track, you could do that. And right. uh, it's a really, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous piece do of you, I mean, Do you find that, the, that, that some of this stuff, I mean, does it require an awful lot of uh, continual sort of maintenance? Or are they, once they've kind of been set up, do they kind of live, have, have, you know, how long is it between kind of um, squirts of uh, Servisol or whatever it is that might you, you might use? Well, it's just that they tend to sit. And the gear doesn't get better as it sits. It gets crustier as it sits. Um, so we've recently, for example, uh, replaced nearly all of the switches in the thing, which required having things custom manufactured and modified on an individual per part basis oh, in geez. order to make it work. I mean, it was a re- an incredible labor uh, undertaken by my pal Tim. Ah, yes, he's the guy that you did the studio in... Um, at Niles. Well, also at Turks and Caicos, yeah. That's right, the, the, where we did that fabulous... Um, uh, in a remote, yeah. Remote, remote... Uh, sorry, I'm trying to do this at the same time. It's very rude of me, but the, the Skype layout has changed and I want to make sure I can get everybody in, so <laughs> excuse me for that. Right. Um, Gaz, are you still there? I'm not sure if we've still got you or not. I can't tell. Um, I can hear you now. Um, ah, Excellent. Did you get a chance to have a look at some of these beautiful um, uh, studio photos? There's some just drool-worthy stuff. I mean, there's all manner of large and small format desks in there and just kind of wonderful workspaces. I mean, you've got a pretty good workspace yourself, but you must have looked at some of these and thought, oh, yes, I wouldn't mind one of those. Oh, gosh, of course, of course, of course. Um, yeah, I was wondering. I mean, I saw recently the, um, some images of, uh, is it a studio called the 
production rooms. I'm not sure where it actually is. Um, someone posted it on Facebook, and I don't know if that's on there, but that looks like an amazing studio. And to see these studios is just, uh, oh, you know, we, you know, we, it's funny, isn't it? We really do see big desks and we see these things and think, wow, you know, and it's, it really brings out the uber nerds in us all, I think, you know, um, you know, because other people just see it as just like a big complicated thing with lots of knobs on it, but, you know, we're like, oh, I think it's so funny. And I mean, so I think that this, uh, this page is definitely there's just so many of them in there i thought i'd looked at them all but there's just so many there's that one there's a looks what's an ssl series with a uh, what looks like a sleeping woman <laughs> underneath them <laughs> i don't know whether that's an art installation or, or, or not quite sure but some of these places look fabulous just really groovy you know i mean there was this studio that i used to work in occasionally in a place called Kyleon in south wales called loco and that was just such a beautiful studio and unfortunately is not a studio anymore and has been converted, I think, into some sort of accommodation. Um, and that just, everything about that studio was just absolutely beautiful. The whole aesthetics of it and the layout of it, it was just, it was just stunning. And uh, such a pleasant place to, to, to be in, you know, when you're working. Um, and I think... Uh, you know, the, the studios that I'm really liking when I see pictures of are ones that have got plenty of, uh, you know, glass. I know glass. Yeah, it's not, not, the, lots of it's not the best solution for acoustics. It's interesting. There's a, isn't there, um, I think Dave Grohl is shooting some kind of uh, uh, a documentary about, is it Sound City? In, is it in, um, oh, God, out near Vegas somewhere, in Nevada somewhere? Does that ring any bells, Rich? It's Sound City. There's, I forget the name of it, but they've got this sort of massive old knee valve desk that everybody just says is absolutely wonderful. I was just wondering, how, I mean, you know, in terms of you were talking about having to spend money on servicing those things just to sort of get these things. I wonder what the, you know, outside of the air conditioning bill of having a valve desk in a giant, in a desert environment, uh, what it must, it must just be an enormous investment in having somebody on call to keep it going because I guess people are paying a ton of this stuff. A ton of money to just to be in these places. Mark, have you got any um, insights into any of these spaces? I didn't know. I didn't recognise some of them. I did see one that looked like Metropolis because it had a big Focusrite desk in it, which are quite rare. There is one that looks like Metropolis in there. I did notice one that looked like Ken, Mac- Ken Macbeth because it had a big sign above Ken Macbeth's head <laughs> pointing to him saying Ken Macbeth. I haven't I like spotted that, that one yet. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked that one. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I look at these things and I kind of like go, yeah, okay, right. I mean, I, there's certain things about the recording industry for me that are iconic. So reel-to-reel tape recorders are one of them, I suppose. And I think, I mean, if I was to, to have the perfect studio environment, it wouldn't look like any of these. I would have a synth room like Ken Macbeth's room. And it would be in black and white like that. And I'd have a sign above my head that said Mark Tinley, I think. <laughs> and then I'd probably have a, vin- a, a, a vintage room with uh, green desks with Bakelite dials. And then uh, everything would have like primary colored buttons on it as well. And that would, you know, that I'd probably have some engineers in brown coats and, and uh, uh, black horn-rimmed glasses maybe helping me <laughs> what was the name there was uh was it the, there was the toe rag studio where um the uh oh, jack white the the, the, 
the White Stripes did some stuff. We did a little uh, facil- um, uh, feature on that. Uh, Simon Power went up and did some did some uh, a kind of meet and greet with the, the chap, and it it was amazing. I mean, it was so retro, even down to the clothes the bloke who owned it wore would wear these kind of like V neck nineteen uh, seventies jumper and and brown nylon trousers, and I you mean, know it was just so totally authentic. Sometimes studios are all about psychology, and I think Gaz was absolutely right when he said people walk in there and they go, wow. And the kind of people that walk in there and go, wow, should be working in studios and not on laptops at home. And personally, my ideal recording space would be a huge, great, big, empty, minimalist room. And then I, you know, aside from my vintage room and my synth room, and I would have like a marble pillar that came up out of the middle of the room, and the room would be perfectly flat. And the marble pillar would come out the middle of the room with a laptop on it. <laughs> and that would be it. <laughs> and it'd be and a few headphone ports. Bring me a guitar, you know, or maybe I'd do the guitars in the guitar room. But and then, but I, you know, I, I watched. Um, can you remember the film Diva? Yeah. There's a section in that film Diva when he goes back to his apartment, and his apartment is the entire floor of a warehouse with a cast iron bath in the middle of it, and he goes to have a bath. When he goes to have a bath, he puts this reel-to-reel tape machine on, and it's sitting on a marble pillar. And he listens to the, you know, the the diva, the the opera singer, on this reel-to-reel tape. He's made like a bootleg of her or something. Quite how he got the reel-to-reel, etc., etc. You know, but um, but I, I that to me is there's something you know lying in the bath with a reel-to-reel tape recorder would be my ideal psychologically ideal recording environment and then this completely empty room which didn't have any acoustic coloring and i know all of this is completely impossible but (laughs) and then and then there's one last little thing actually and that is i want some black things kicking around with red orange and green leds on with knurled aluminium knobs so again like ams all the ams gear to me is iconic it's like what you expect to see in a studio so I expect to see real to real and lots of wood, I suppose. I mean, like, you know, beautifully polished pine everywhere. I think that's a perfectly valid vision of the perfect studio, Mark. And I, 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 I'm, I'm very glad that you were able to share that with you. I've just found the picture of Ken Macbeth. You're correct. It's, uh, it's yeah. him walking across the room with, uh, you probably can't see it because it's a bit... Uh, yeah, I can. Uh, yeah, with, uh, <laughs> with him just kind of standing there looking at that massive... Uh, 2600 clone i think he's got possibly it looks like what a lovely yeah. glaswegian apartment there Your there's just some windows well. oh look there's uh that looks like danny bird who's in bath that's a picture of danny bird in bath somebody's obviously just gone through and made a tumblr stream or a uh, uh to uh of all the pictures he can find so mark yeah based on that vision of what a studio should look like yeah how come vince clark moved to new york did you see the place he had in Maine? Oh, that's, is, that, is that quite a recent thing? Uh, my understanding is that Vince Clark has packed it all up and brought it to New York City. Now, I could be wrong about that, but that's what it looks like from his website. Oh, wow. wow. That does seem... Um... And that was a pretty close to the idea. I mean, there weren't reel-to-reel tape recorders, and I don't recall any marble pillars and a completely acoustically neutral environment. However, <laughs> there are certain aspects of what you just described that very much resembled... What I thought I saw in that cabin that he had up in Maine. Oh, right. Okay. It was gorgeous, that thing. 
That does and, seem a uh, bit of a shame. I, I ask my, I go, well, maybe he got lonely. You yeah, know? I mean, it was in the, it is kind of, it did look very remote, but I'm guessing, you know, it would have to be because it's just, well, I, I don't know why it would, would or wouldn't, but. Because it's in Maine. Wow. I've just scrolled down on this and I found a picture. Sorry, I've just completely changed the subject here, yeah, but go. I've just found a picture where they, it looks like this recording space, they've taken the desk out and they've put huge Samsung flat screens in. And then at the front of it, there's this kind of log effect, like the bottom, you know, like they cut off the bottom of a tree. Oh, so no, I, I'm, I haven't seen you've that. You've got one. to scroll down. And then it's kind of got like what looks a little bit like maybe a pro control or a, some kind of hooey. And I may have gone past it already. I mean, there's just an endless stream. I don't know how many photos there are here, but some there are. Some kind of hooey. That's some that's kind of song. hooey. There is a song <laughs> title for you right Some there. kind of hooey. I like the sound of that, which ties in quite nicely with the, because uh, I, I did get, I, I know I've been going on and on about this Behringer uh, X32 desk, but I finished my review or the second part of the review yesterday, and uh, that's got hooey control. <laughs> for those of you who are interested. Um, beautiful stuff. I mean, Gaz, how much... Oh, my Lord, how much... T- look at this place. Look, wait a minute. Just check this out. This is just a warehouse <laughs> full of synthesizers. Loads Excellent. and loads and lo- There's all the emulators. Is it, does, this, uh, does that look like the, the place that you described, uh, Rich? You said there was a guy that you knew in L.A. somewhere, downtown L.A., who had a place like that. Well, no, his was not all set up like that. Ah, okay. Worth but, a try. Um, looks like a, you know, a collection to rival that that I saw, Certainly. although rarely have I ever seen as many different modulars in one place as that guy had. But most of it was in like a clo- like a huge, it was almost a warehoused closet. <laughs> wow. You know, it was available to be taken out and used at any time, but it wasn't all like laying around set up. Mm. I can't imagine, I mean, I imagine, you know, when you consider that, that how many studios are going out of business and all this sort of old rat gear that, you know, I'm, I'm probably thinking like the, 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 all of the sort of 80s digital stuff, it would be fairly cheap and easy to build a ridiculously impressive wall of 19-inch gear. Yeah, um, and ju- just, just Just in terms of, you know, here's my, you know, decoration kind of style. Well, he had start- 32 black-faced Akai samplers. <laughs> Painted black and re screened <laughs> all the graphics in white onto them. Why ever not? That sounds like a plan. I bought, a, I bought an S3200 ages ago for 75 quid. It's probably not worth that now, right? I think I sold an uh, S1000 for a bit more than that, hopefully. And then uh, I bought an R1000 reverb, a Yamaha R1000-1U rack-mounted reverb, which I still love the sound of except I don't really need it anymore because I impulse response it into the waves thing and it sounds exactly the same. But I bought that for £10. <laughs> so it would be very easy to do. You could probably, if you sat on eBay and you just waited for all the stuff that was local and for collection only and uh, that people weren't willing to pay 30 quid postage on because, well, you know, it's, they're not. Yeah, just drive around with your... Drive pick up truck and chuck it yeah. in the back. Yeah, well, great yeah. idea. <laughs> Whatever, not. But, but suddenly it's all going to become worth a whole load of money. Exactly. You want a warehouse. Gaz, are you, uh, have you got your eyes on anything, any of that technology that you're sort of warehousing to, to cash in on the next big thing? Uh, say that again. Have you, are you warehousing any um, slightly obsolete and out of fashion uh, technology that you're going to cash in when, uh, when, when it becomes back in fashion? Oh, 
Uh, not really. I, I did sort of sell a load of stuff way back when. Um, that's kind of problem, isn't it? You know, with computers, I've got loads of old computers that will <laughs> they're not worth be, anything <laughs> ever. Um, no, uh, guitars. Yeah, that's more. Yeah, well, that, you're probably right. Actually, I've I've got a VL tone, Rich. I was just trying to reach for it, but it's not immediately to hand, which is a shame. There should always be a VL tone to hand. I think. Um, my 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 friend Frank though he he does collect stuff from. I think I mentioned it before on the show, but he 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 collects stuff from the late nineties, uh, from the eighties and the early nineties, and he's got a big collection. He's got over twenty reverb units, and he he collects reverbs, which is a, a strange fetish. Um, but he also get buys kind of uh, like like MIDI stuff from this really unloved age. This kind of like late 80s early 90s is just sort of it, it's like the kind of um the pariah of music <laughs> from, from that time you know things like ensonics and um uh, well, i'm trying to think what else now but uh but stuff stuff that's just nobody wants no one wants. It is amazing, though, when you get, you know, it, how it goes out of fashion. But then sometimes, you know, when you're exposed to it and you go, you listen to it, you go, bloody hell, that sounded great. You know, I mean, it's got these, it's got an aspect. To it. I mean, but, you know, I guess we can't have everything, can we? But uh, I just wonder, I mean, do you, do you spend much time on your in working environment these days or are you more about the workflow, Gaz? Um, yeah, I mean, workflow for me is everything. So things, things which, uh, which, kind of interrupt workflow I'm not so interested in but I mean like for instance I've got like a, a pedal board with lots and lots of pedals on that I've got plumbed into my my rack and into my system here so and I can just you know I just move things around plug things in and sort of have a lot of fun with that kind of stuff um, but yeah I'm always looking to try and make this workflow as as kind of efficient and smooth as you know and uh, and fun fun i'm always looking to try and make things fun so when things aren't fun that's when i relegate them to the to the closet you know ah, I got you. you know um and but i'm i've always got this thing i'm always looking at new stuff all the time not just you don't new- say <laughs> <laughs> i've noticed that about you <laughs> new, new ways of doing things you know and sort of um and you know i think I, I do like old synths a lot, and I would love to be able to afford to have a good collection of them, but I'm s- sort of still more interested in things that are happening now and, ex- you know, new ways of being expressive with stuff and, you know, um, still waiting for my Cuneo. That's still oh, awesome. yeah. Um, Rich, I was asking you, because, you know, you've designed these work- workspaces, several of them, and uh, presumably the one that you're in. How do, when does it get to the point where you sort of think, actually, I need to incorporate some of this new stuff in? Or do you kind of leave enough space and room to manoeuvre so that you can change the workflow or modify it as you go along? I and mean, how do you kind of design that into a, a, a space? Well, it's funny you should ask because the answer to your question, when do you decide that, in my case, is sort of right now. Because I now have two new pieces of gear that I want to learn and incorporate into my workflow, but I don't really have any place to put them. So um, I'm having to think about how to modify what I have to accommodate them and to what extent I need them available all the time or not. Like I have to really think about how they're going to 
be accommodated in my workflow. And so I'm tempted to come up with a more temporary solution in the short term to see how I find myself using these things. Racks on wheels. Things on wheels that you could just wheel about. That's what I do over here. Now I I just put wheels on everything. Well, I actually, we have hardwood floors, and wheels don't usually work real well. But what I do have is the keyboard stand is on these Teflon pucks that you put on the bottom of, like, furniture when you're using hardwood floors. And they allow you to freely slide things without scratching the floor, which is a beautiful thing. Um, So, yeah, it may be slide away stuff with, you know, you just connect up the power and MIDI and off you go. It, It may, or USB or whatever. That's the other thing is I'm having currently I'm having long run USB issues and I have to solve those as well. Mm. But uh, to answer your question specifically for me right now, because I'm about to start wanting to incorporate some new pieces of hardware. Is that machine? Was that something that you're bringing in? Machine and uh, I got a Tractor S4. And I don't know how much I'm going to use each one or both or I, I need to begin to get conversant in these things. So, uh, and I, you know, I know we've got some friends in the chat room who are, I know Ken, for example, is deep in machine. I watch his videos and, uh, I'm about to start diving in myself. Yeah. I've been having, I've been having lots of fun with the machine. Actually, I kind of have accepted its shortcomings, uh, you know, I know what it is much more now. I think. Yeah. Cause been- when we spoke last, you were a bit disappointed that it didn't fit your oh. expectations, right? Yeah, and I mean, speaking of workflow, you know, trying to find a way of integrating it into my workflow has been such a head-scratcher, you know. Um, and um, it's, I, I've sort of more or less figured it out now. And, and thanks to Ken Flux in the, in the chat room as well. He was really helpful, actually. He, he really gave me some great pointers. But, um, it, you know, just trying to kind of get it to work in the way that I'm, it's been challenging because uh, it's most enjoyable when you use it standalone and, um, you know, and you just kind of, you're just in there and it's really cool. You're in there and, yeah. and you're just not looking at the, at the computer screen and you just kind of, and, and everything's easy to hand and it's really inspiring and it's really good fun. But then just trying to sort of then go, okay, let's bring in, you know, let's bring it into a bunch of tracks, uh, you know, or, Let's combine it with a project, another project that I'm working on, uh, and then inserting it as a as a VST in, uh, insert. Currently, as it stands, all the transport controls don't work. They are kind of so you're still having to sort of. Um, oh, that's a shame. Do you is it the sort of thing that you kind of would need to run on a separate machine and treat that as a separate instrument and insert that in somehow? Well, I mean, I've tried different ways of doing it now. I've tried using it sort of um, running at the same time but not inside of uh, the music software and using Soundflower to sort of route the outputs into, um, in my case, using Ableton Live uh, to get the most out of the machine and having, the, having Ableton Live slave to the, to the machine. So, um, and that works quite well. But again, when you want to sort of start to automate stuff or, you know, make right. mix... It, you then kind of go, oh, you know, you're dealing with two separate systems. So, which makes me then want to go, okay, let's reinsert it then as a plugin and work inside the inside the door. Uh, and then, you know, one of the things that's really nice when using it as a hardware thing, you know, you can just root audio into it, 
uh, when you want to do that when it's inside the the door. Oh, right, it's quite complicated. Tracks and route those tracks through, and uh, and and all those things just really contradict this lovely workflow idea, you know, of this all-in-one unit, you know. So that's been that's been my main issue finding this way. Now, um, Ken's told me that the new 1.8 version, which is about to drop pretty soon, will remedy some of this. So I'm looking forward to that. I think there's going to be, uh, you know, uh, what they what they're doing is they're splitting the controller into two things. So uh, the, the transport part will actually operate the the door. You know, will be like a kind of controller for the the door, uh, whereas the rest of the the, the machine will then be um, as it normally is. So ah, uh, uh, okay, that makes sense. So you, it's almost like having the uh, the controls and the keyboard separate on on. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Okay. But you know, again, just 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 because we're talking about um, workflow, you know, it's that thing. It's like, oh, when something is so tricky to kind of get into your workflow, it's that's you when sort of want, yeah. Well, that, I, I understand it. what you're saying. Um, you know, so. It's definitely worth checking but, out, though. But, that know, as a as a workflow, uh, I mean, these these problems are always kind of. I mean, it's sort of one thing I'm constantly doing when because I, I shoot myself over there and I have to figure out ways of making it all work and the least amount of journeys back to the workstation when I set up cameras so I can can just shoot without having anybody else involved. And I, I mean, I find that quite fascinating, just creating making the workspace kind of suit what you need. But it's the sort of thing that if you haven't defined what it is you do totally, I mean, that's the thing like you're saying, Rich. You know, the fact that you're that you've got a very specific kind of need for that. Uh, for your general workflow, you know, trying to build all of that redundancy so you can do anything you want is the, is the tricky part, you know, and it's not an easy thing because you will have to make some compromises down the way. But uh, looking at some of those studio pictures, there are just so many in there that people have made absolutely no, no compromise. And I, the ones I really appreciate are the really messy ones because they're the ones that are obviously being used. That's the thing you've got to remember. <laughs> the ones that are messy are generally being used. I don't know. I don't know whether or not that's true of everybody else's space i'm guessing mark you might have a uh, have a theory that that might suit suit your mentality as well perhaps hey eh? only got to look at our fridge actually. <laughs> it's just a uh, living organic thing yeah it's just like everything i'm just like i'm constantly in trouble for the fact that there's a well there's just bits of music gear piled up all around the house and motorbike parts as well <laughs> a great combination I'm trying to hold my head in shame here <laughs> Um, I'm just thinking what we could look at next. I've just realised that once again, um, due to my well, last-minute preparation here... Sorry, Rich, were you about to chip in there? Well, it sort of dovetails into that group of cats who play all this Native Instruments stuff live. What was that? Mostly robot. I might just need a quick... Uh, I might just quickly need to go and uh, modify something there because I don't seem... I haven't actually got... Ah, no, I can do that. I see. That's, no, it's all right. I can do it. Now, what am I thinking? I can do that easily. I'm just going to open that link there. It's all right. I've got it. I've got it covered. It's going to be fine. <laughs> if I bring that over here, then I can put that in there, and then we can look at it. That's cool. That's excellent. Right, so I'm going to play that now. This is mostly robot behind the scenes. The super group. Sonar 2012. So yeah, there's a, a basically uh, Tim Exile, Jamie Liddell. Mr. Jimmy, come on, from Nashville, what's up? I'm 
Jeremy Ellis, Dr. Jimmy, DJ Shifty. I won't play the whole thing. I better pause that. Um, they want to get clobbered by that. This is a sort of, This is quite an interesting idea, really, because it's like a supergroup put together by a manufacturer. I was trying to think of any other possible instance that that was the case. Uh, and they basically just take they're, they're kind of using the controlism uh, aspect of what they do uh, to create this kind of supergroup. Jamie Little, of course, is the amazing singer. J- Tim Exile is just a sort of generally. Uh, uh, creative chap who uses a lot, who, who wrote the, who created the mouth and the finger for Native Instruments, which are kind of like uh, reactor, uh, standalone reactor things. D- Dr. J- Jeremy Ellis is just a kind of nutty finger drummer, I think would be a fair way to put him. DJ Shifty and Mr. Jimmy, who seems to be doing the keyboards. I don't know, what do you think about this, Rich? It seems like, it sort of seems like it's kind of manufactured, but yet it's, it's kind of okay. I can't think of any other instance where that's happened. Can you? I loved it, to answer your first question. And as to manufactured, the fact that they play everything live and, I mean, finger drummer, good God. His drumming is amazing. It is and, amazing, yeah. He's a fantastic and, drummer. Um, the fact that it's all being triggered from, you know, oh, yeah, sure, it's the band full of guys who push buttons. I like the way they characterize themselves as, I don't know, white geeks or something. Yeah, yeah. But... uh I thoroughly enjoyed this thing, was intrigued by it, would even probably, with some assistance, go see it. <laughs> ah, well, the, um, what you were saying about that, the instruments are only synced by the human element. Uh, no MIDI clock or prepared grid obstructing their creativity. Oh, they're apparently. playing. Yeah, they the, which is, playing. is very unusual. They come with a lot of flack, though. I mean, it's definitely sort of, the, 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 it's sort of got that kind of, it reminds me a little bit of those kind of uh, drum machines don't make real music. Samplers are killing music. You know, do you know what I mean? It's almost got an element of that argument with people that is just sort of saying they're just button pushers. But, I mean, frankly, most, well, most of it is really these days right future man's been triggering midi drums from a modified syntax on stage with bela fleck and the fleck tones which is some pretty high brow highfalutin fusion jazz music for 20 years now yeah so that part ain't new no it's i suppose not these guys are so good at it and i'm not in any way meaning to discredit or dishonor what's being done here i'm just saying there's a history of this and uh I think we're well beyond the, is it not music? No, or yeah, no, I, I think I would agree. I'm, I'm Jamie Little, the only thing, I must admit, because I was watching some of the performances today on YouTube, I was looking around, and the only thing that missed, missed for me was a guitar. I just sort of felt like if they'd had a guitarist kind of grooving along with it, it would somehow, because we got they the... Could. It, I know they could, yeah. I, mean, it would just, I think that would be just really brilliant. Some kind of, he was doing I, some MIDI kind of stuff. I want the bass gig with them. Um, yeah, not, yeah. Maybe, maybe you should be working on that then, because <laughs> you've been working on your own system, haven't you? So, what do you what do you think about it, Gaz? I mean, you know, obviously you're now into machine. We've just been talking about it. I mean, it's sort of it's taken on a bit of a life of its own, hasn't it? It's, it, it I, I'm trying to think of what it reminds me of something, but I can't think what it is because they're obviously very like mind people and obviously mates and what have you. Yeah, I mean, this is so exciting. I was really, I, I just thought it was brilliant when I heard about it because you know these guys, they are all great individual talents and are brilliant sort of exponents of using technology in really interesting creative ways to put them together and then to make a real band out of it i think it's really cool i think it's okay that there's no guitar there though in a way because i think um they could use guitar rig as uh, um, <laughs> flux 302 said in there because that's a native instruments product <laughs> um 
uh, you know, and, and just to come back to the point you were saying about it, uh, about it, the, the the corporate tie-in about like Native Instruments kind of putting it together. I think in this case, I think it's absolutely brilliant. You know, because you know maybe you would need something like that to get these disparate talents all working together in the in a single unit. Um, but I thought that the choice of cover version of like Window Licker, the Aphex Twin song, you know, and doing a cover version of you know, I think the Herbie Hancock they do. Um... Uh, rocket, yeah, as well. So I think that's brilliant. You know, taking these, um, taking these iconic sort of electronic tunes and, and playing them live, but playing them live with this, 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 this kind of band that redefines, uh, you know, rather than rather than there being the bass player, the guitarist, etc. You know, well, it's interesting. Uh, they've been given a kind of brief, I guess, and have just sort of gone right. Let's do this. I mean, that's what it looks like, and they've come up with something quite cool. I forget the name of the uh, uh, the actual. Um, the lighting guys, because they just take their cues from the MIDI CC that goes out. That's the only MIDI that's flying around, goes to the lighting rigs and the video and running all of that kind of stuff, which is kind of cool. Right, you know, and, um, yeah, and, and just seeing, you know, rather than there being this, you know, you know, an equivalent of a regular band, you know, like Tim Exile's role seems quite interesting in that he takes the, he takes the audio feeds of all the players and then mashes that up and sort of, so he's kind of, you know, almost like a dub mixer uh, on stage. Um, you know, and just think it's a, you know, a real interesting band dynamic going on there. Um, I wonder it, what it's like, actually, you know, because you get, whether you get the same kind of buzz from working on that level in that sort of almost IT kind of way as you would from, from, from physically playing an instrument, whether you get the same sort of feedback or whether, you know, whether you, because you have to focus so hard on the, on the technique Mm. That it, it, it detracts from the experience of the performer. I wonder if there's anything in that. I don't know. Well, they seem to be playing with a fair amount of creative freedom yeah. as they go. They're not inhibited by the technological aspects of what they're doing I at guess all, that, which is what's so impressive about it. They're really expressive through it as a medium, and they don't seem to be encumbered by, you know, which button to press or what's going to happen when I do this at all. They completely seem to have it down. I wonder if they just sort of come with their rigs set up as exactly, you know, as separate entities and just kind of work within that with, and just change the sound sets. Because obviously each of their own setups is going to be very particular to them and very kind of they'll know well, inside out, presumably. My understanding based on the video I watch is that it is exactly that. Each guy has his own setup, and the only thing that really ties them together is I think a single MIDI clock feeds them all so that when they want to synchronize certain things, they can, but that they're actually not playing sequences and that they're performing live. Mm. So I would think that that MIDI, sequen that MIDI clock would have to be responsive to tap tempo yeah. so that they could keep it updated to where they are right now in the jam. That's going to be a very interesting technical challenge, I'd imagine, having that sort of yes or no. You know, oh, and furthermore, they had video it. guys behind that, responding yeah, yeah. to controller motions and, you know, parameter Sorry. changes, and the guy grabs a filter cutoff knob, something changes up in the video. They're taking MIDI from everything to control uh, aspects of their live video presentation. It was brilliant. Mm. I was very impressed. I think they're doing a few more gigs about the place. I know, Mark, is this sort of thing that, you know, would you like to go and see this? I mean, would you... I'd be interested to know how it's put together, perhaps, rather than watch the performance. I don't know. I like some of the noises they're making. Mm. I have to say that. I really like all of that glitchy kind of stretchy kind of 
gr ground up kind of audio. So I really like that. I like the fact that they're doing it live, and they are doing it live. I mean, it's kind of this is a sort of a weird argument that's been going on a long time. And I must admit that uh, I did something similar, but at the end of the eighties. My brother Adam heralded me as Tinley, the sampling champion of the universe, because <laughs> I used to take a feed from the two singers in the band Discord Dacord, and I used to put it through a whole load of samplers and play it off pads and sort of play almost like play, well, just play lots of samples of them back in as the backing vocals, which was kind of weird, and we had backing tracks and stuff. And I always felt a bit disingenuous doing it, but I have to say it's not an easy task to take things and use them and put them back into what's going on and kind of create with it. And then um, sort of later, my brother obviously had that big hit with uh, NRG, which was uh, all done in an SQ-80 as patterns. And he just basically used to play the whole stuff, a whole set out live of different uh, sequences and flicking around buttons and stuff and I used to think oh you're not really playing I suppose and then uh, <laughs> but try doing it I mean it makes D it makes what DJs do look ridiculously simple because he's got like all eight eight different lines of music running in his mind he knows when they come in and out he's got to flick between different screens and switch different things in and out and then he's got to do the same with a drum machine and all the drums right and these guys are doing something very similar, is what, right. I'm, what I'm noticing. It's sort of, I guess it's, it's taken it to another level. It's like that when we've seen things where people are doing performances with uh, loopers, like Susie Conrad, that sort of thing, which is just so technologically intensive and really Boring. advanced, but still kind of very... Uh, well, Ed, Ed Sheeran's another one. He makes the most unbelievable musical decisions. He pr pr must pre-plan where his loops are going to go way before he gets to that point in the song. So the songs are almost written in a way that it means that he's dumped the backing vocal for that particular section of the song in the looper sort of ahead of time so when he gets to it, it's like the amount of stuff they must be tracking and thinking about to make it work. And then this is a band of people doing it who are all doing it in time with each other. I mean, it's like... It's... <laughs> How he mentioned something in the chat room, which is kind of an interesting point. You know, um, it's nothing compared to mastering a violin or whatever, which I suppose. I disagree, completely disagree. I think it is everything compared to mastering a violin. And I think, uh, you, you know, you might spend years and years learning to use a violin, but, but if you get really into this, you know, into the complexity of these and master them as instruments, it's. it's you know, as hard. Mm. If not well, harder. it's interesting because we've got uh, a piece coming up very shortly with uh, Laura Escaday that uh, Gaz very kindly came in and, and shot an interview with her. It's going to be hitting the streets fairly soon. And she's just purely about this live performance with controllerism and what have you and, and creating loops live and just doing it in that kind of way, uh, which I'm guessing she, she's, she could have been a contender for a similar sort of band set up, could have quite easily been as part of this kind of thing. Um, so, I mean, there is, there's like a whole breed, isn't there, of, of this sort of, and I suppose the idea that we've got to the point where there is like a super group of controllerists or people who are doing live manipulation uh, is think, the interesting part as well. I think the key thing to the whole thing is try doing it. And if you don't have any musical 
if you don't have a musical mind, so if you can't track harmonies in your mind and know what's going to happen when you put things together, then it's all going to go horribly wrong and you're just going to make a noise and a mess. You also need to have absolutely, like, unbelievably impeccable timing, not just, like, screeching something out on a violin, like, you know, mm. I'm, I'm, actually, I, I probably don't want to go there because I'm going to, like, cause a flame war in the <laughs> chat room. But, uh, but in terms of, like, hitting that button on time, you're, you're, you're playing with midi clock and you need to land your finger on the button at the right point in time that the machine picks up on the clock at the right moment and and that kind of timing is pretty bloody tight timing and yeah okay so you're playing a button and not a string or a drum or well, so yeah sorry, well, I think rich rich looks it's like he's still, ready to come in there <laughs> well they're not really playing to anything except each other in that band if i understand correctly yeah I think you're right. In other words, there's nothing sequenced and nothing... Well, they're taking live samples of some things that other people are doing and using them, which is, I think, the aspect of it you were talking about before. But there's not a clock that's running it. Pardon? You've still got to... I mean, if... So they don't have any sequences clicked. Correct. Correct. Stuff. I mean, that's all got clock running through it. Even if it's a delay clock, there's still they some, may They do have MIDI clock, apparently, but I suspect it's being controlled by tap tempo input because according to what they say, there are no sequences driving this thing. They're driving it as players. It's all playing. Well, I'd be very interested. Maybe, and maybe we'll get the chance to see a, a kind of proper tech breakdown. Because, I mean, if it's a sort of native instrument supergroup, then, you know, surely there's, we, we should be able to see. I think... I have a feeling that maybe Future Music did something a bit deeper uh, with them, which I haven't had a chance to check out, and I don't, I haven't found it online anywhere. But one to watch, and I'm sure there's going to be more content coming out that will explain a little bit more about what they're up to and how exactly how it does. Or maybe, Rich, you already know something, right? Well, I only know what I did learned in the preparation for the show, but right. that was there was that much. And speaking to the other part of Mark's point, um, when I saw Global Drum Project, and I think I've mentioned this before, about four or five years ago, they had a guy on stage called Jonah Sharp running Ableton Live and in real time on stage taking live performances, looping them and feeding them back to these guys that they would then jam over. And he was an active musical participant in exactly. creating the layers upon which they would build the performances. It was but really this- fascinating. If the guy wasn't a musician, it wouldn't work, right? Oh, I agree. Uh, no, and it was, and he was really good at it, and uh, it kind of blew my mind that night at the uh, way that worked. Yeah, What's that called again, Rich? Let's see if I can find some links to that. Global, Global Drum Project, and the guy who did the work on stage with them is called Jonah Sharp. Jonah Sharp. All right. Well, I'll check that out and see if I can put a link into the show notes. He did, did he work with Roger Taylor for a while? Is that the same guy or is that someone else? Don't know. I I'm think he's from the sure. Pacific Northwest. This guy. Oh, uh, no, not that. Well, I, that is, it's obviously garnered quite a lot of uh, interest, and I would like to, uh, to see some more of that. But before we go, I just wanted to draw your attention to uh, our, the, the, the Iris competition that we've been running in conjunction with Isotope. I, did, I neglected to mention it last week on the podcast because uh, it was all kind of uh, crazy chaotic with uh, Darren Price from Underworld. I just wanted to show you we've got quite a lot of uh, entries here. Uh, this is the Fine Music and Anything uh, competition sound design or everything even sound design competition uh, we've got a whole i don't know how many tracks we've got I, I this is 30 or 40 i think but i just wanted to draw your attention to that if you go to sonicstate.com forward slash iris 
uh, you can download a free copy of Iris, and there are some amazing prizes up for grabs. I mean, it's like they're, they're giving away like six or seven grand's worth of software as prizes for this. This is pretty amazing, really. And we've got some really good entries here coming in from all sorts of people. Uh, I don't know if anybody's had a chance to check any of these out. I'll see if I can play anything. I think there's some... That have all been made with Iris. You can have a, you can just download a free copy of Iris. It lasts for ten days, and uh, you can make yourself. Let me see. If lovely, really quite beautiful things that I'm guessing uh, I haven't spoken to the uh, members of the podcast, but I think we may be involved in judging if there's uh, if anybody fancies getting on board. Um, lots and lots of things that have been made beautifully. And it ends on the 30th of August. Um, so there's still plenty of time to go. Like I say, top prize, two grand. Then there's five categories, ambient, pad, melodic, and uh, sonic talk. And then there's just a general sort of most popular. And they all get a grand's worth of uh, isotope software. And the winner, the overall winner, gets to be a guest on the Sonic Talk Show. Woohoo! And can uh, tell us how, exactly how they did it and, you know, all of those good things. And uh, so... Please do go and check it out. We've got a group on SoundCloud as well where you could just upload. It's all done via Dropbox, and you don't have to have a SoundCloud account. You just drop it in there, give your email, and then, you know, you end up basically with a SoundCloud account to enter. So please do go and try it out. There's some lovely stuff in here, actually, I must say. And some also some very unusual stuff. And I think we spoke with you, Mark. You are, it's very tempting. Uh, you're obviously very tempted by this sort of thing. But, uh, I haven't done it. So I've been very good. Wow, that's kind of crazy. I don't know what that is. Mad stuff. Anyway, I'm sorry, I, 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 I will stop that now. That's probably a good time to stop that. But guys, um, I don't think we've got time for any more topics, but I do want to thank you very much for joining us. It's been a great pleasure to have you back again. And Rich, it's been a long time since I've had you on the show, and I'd like to obviously apologise for my misrepresentation of your of your uh, portrayal of a, a, a medieval country during the Olympics, which is... I, I, but as actually, as, as it happens, I don't, have you been watching the Olympics? It's been absolutely fantastic. Mm. We are third in the medal table. Yeah, well, I'm glad to see that, and I was thrilled to see that Andy Murray actually won, oh, yeah. finally. Like, Woohoo! That was a beautiful moment. And not I only that, had to be. a bit of crowing. Apparently, that one statistic is, if British cycling were a country, it would be like ninth in the medal table, just with the medals it's won. I, I also heard that Yorkshire would be tenth in the medal table as well, if it was a country. Oh, really? What, because of all the people who have actually, all the Yorkshire, Yorkshire men and women who've won the medals? Yeah, my Yorkshire buddy told me that with well, pride. Interesting. Well, I developed a theory the other day that the uh, perfect place for the UK Olympians to uh, train would be Heathrow Airport. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from, yeah, well, the, the, I guess the runway would kind of make a lot of sense. No, no, just sprinting from terminal to terminal. Oh, yeah. Connecting flights. It may, yes, That's, there's those signs. It, please allow, up to, please allow up to 25 minutes for you to get to your terminal because it may be a very long way away, yeah. Oh, yeah. make, you make a left turn and it's half a mile. Yeah. And you make a left turn and it's half a mile. Yeah. <laughs> and you stop at immigration, you stand at a line, you make a left turn and it's half a mile. I'm telling you, this is where you train the Olympic team. Yeah, well, that's a good, there's, a, there's a good idea there. But anyway. You, when I, sorry, go, Gaz. When I came back from Japan, I'd sort of like deliberately booked my sort of uh, bus like to be about like three hours after my, uh, after my plane got in just to allow for all of this kind of... Uh, you know, Olympics-related stuff, because uh, it was like last week I came back. And um, 
And I was out of there. After I landed, I was out of there in 10 minutes. Oh, wow. That's yeah, great. Was, yeah, it's faster than I've ever been in Heathrow before, so don't know why that is. Well, I went up to London uh, last week to visit Jason uh, Bradbury, um, look, uh, give him a hand with his studio setup, and we went in the Olympic lane. That's about as close as I've got to it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was fine. I mean, didn't seem to have any trouble. All I had to do was actually get off the, play, get off the train and go and find a taxi, so it wasn't particularly... Uh, and it, the traffic was, didn't seem all that bad going out to, to his place. So, yeah, it was all pretty cool. There was one thing I wanted to very quickly mention, and that was the sound system at the Fuji Rock Festival. The main PA in the was the most immense sounding PA I have ever heard in my entire life. Really? Yeah. So maybe for a future a future uh, episode, we can find out what that was because I think it was brought in either by uh, uh, requested by the Stone Rose or Radiohead. Uh, uh, okay. But wow, I tell you what. Sounded what? good, did it? Well, it's always... I was outdoors, right? Because I had a concert experience earlier in the week. I went to see Liz Fraser of the Cocteau Twins play in Bath, who hasn't done a gig for 15 years. And, yes. uh, did she sing words? I don't know if she did or not. I couldn't hear her. Oh. <laughs> in fact, I, I think... I Did I have something... I had something set up, but I don't think I've got it on uh, running anymore. But Oh, yeah, no, I have, actually. Let me see if I can play it because I, I, I found actually somebody uploaded a, uh, a, a, a bit of the audio and, and it's really of no fault of anybody but it was just an astonishing what made me realize is when you have a really quiet singer she was very 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 nervous yeah, she hasn't gigged for 15 does. years and sings about as loud as a moth's wing Anyway, I, I don't know how you get around that. They had a... Uh, Rob Allen was doing the mix. Little... Sorry, go, Gaz. Did you... Was that you, Gaz, just going? Um, I had a little bit of contact about this Liz Fraser gig. Um, the keyboard player, um, Thibault Sandra, he, he, he asked me... They were using Mainstage, and he contacted me after my experience with Popea, the opera, uh, about just sort of tweaking the whole kind of... Main... So they're running Mainstage for all their... Kind yeah, of... I, I thought I spotted that. Hmm. Um, yeah, so that, that was my little connection with that. But um, it was, it was. I mean, it was, it was beautiful to. I mean, she's. I don't know, Rich, if you're familiar with the Cocteau Twins at all, and Liz Fraser. I mean, she sang on Teardrop, which is the classic massive attack attack track with the harpsichord introduction. I mean, you will re- if you've heard it, you'd recognise it again. But and she's legendarily timid and <laughs> live. Honestly, it was. When they started playing, it was a bit like being at a band rehearsal where they didn't have a PA, they just had a monitor system and they were at the other end of the room. And the poor, I mean, the poor front of house guy would have been, you know, I don't know how much gain he had, but when he heard her sing, it was so quiet, yet when she said, she said a word, it, was, it blew the mic amp up because yeah. of the, dyna- you know, the, 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 the dynamics in her voice and the way that it, it must have been apps. And obviously I think she was, you know, was, still building was a Steve, conference, confidence. Was Steve, was Steve Hackett playing? I couldn't recognise if it was. I mean, I guess it may have been, but I don't I know if it was or not. The, the Genesis guitarist, Steve Hackett. It may have been. I couldn't tell from where I was. Because I, I literally, this, this is what happened to me. I was down at the sports centre with my daughter taking her to a swimming party. 
And I happened to notice there was a poster on the wall because Jane got asked by some people saying, where's Elizabeth Fraser playing? And she came to me and said, is that somebody famous? And I went and looked and went, oh my God. And I went over to the place and said, are there any tickets left? And he said, yeah, I think we got six or seven, but you have to order them online. So I'm there on my phone and I did it on the, and I, and I got a ticket and I can't believe it. It was like half past six and the show started at seven o'clock and I got a ticket and I was in. And in fact, I'm bumped into Dave Robinson there as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, she is extraordinary, so, and, and she has the most beautiful, beautiful voice. She sings like an angel. Half get nervous. Uh, I know, I really felt for her, but I mean, I think that that's the first show for 15 years, and uh, she did a couple more afterwards. It just, you know, I, I'd like to see her do more, because it's just so beautiful. But anyway, I yeah. don't know what you can do with that sort of thing, because, I mean, both front of house, I mean, front of house was feeding back, that's how much gain they had to put on the mics. But... They actually use an acoustic drummer, which I thought was perhaps not the best idea, considering how much noise you know that's going to make. But anyway, just thought I'd throw that in. If you get a chance to check out, there's quite a lot of um, bootleggy YouTube recordings on uh, on YouTube, which of course I can't condone in any way. But if you want to hear what it sounded like, um, and perhaps you know have your opinion based on it. Um, Anyway, Rich, Rich Hilton, thank you very much for joining us too. I'm glad to see you back, and I'm very pleased that uh, all is well with you in the world, and I'm guessing you're back in the studio, right? Oh, I will be. Excellent. Right now I'm in hibernation. Resting. Resting right. after a busy period. Well, anyway, Rich, Hiltonius.com, thank you very much for joining us. Much, much appreciated. And um, we'll go over to Mark Tinley there, likebeing.com. Thank you for getting back, and uh, you're wonderful. Th- uh, th- say thank you to Gina for letting her, letting <laughs> you use her marvellous laptop, which you obviously chose wisely there, because the video quality is awesome. It's excellent, isn't it? <laughs> it really is excellent, yeah. What make is it, by the way? I'd just I'd like to know. It's a Packard Bell. Ah, okay, Packard Bell. Yeah, so well, you're, you're very welcome. I did have something that I needed to tell you about that's cut, that happened in the music industry that I found out about, and I absolutely, I've been racking my brains <laughs> for the last 10 minutes trying to remember what it was, so it'll have to be next week, I guess. Well, I look forward to that, and uh, I will, of course, um, be happy to hear your thoughts on that. But thank you very much for joining us, Mark. That was great. Yeah, very uh, well. And we'll say goodbye to Gaz Williams there, who's fresh back from... Oh. Oh. Hang on, I've remembered what it was. Okay, well, uh, all right, we'll go there. Well, I'll come back to you in a sec, guys. Okay, fire away then. I just wanted to mention the Beatles complete on ukulele has <laughs> now been completed. So there's 185 tracks, which this chap called Dave Barrett has um, done, which is like pretty much every Beatles song that ever was, which has been done on the ukulele. So if you just type the Beatles complete on ukulele, it's it's very easy to find on Google, and it's all free at the moment, so you can download the entire 184 tracks with one click from iTunes at the moment. So it's really worth checking out, because it's just it's such an interesting and different take on all of those songs that you, um, well, that's it, really. That sounds great. Is it all sort of uh, in a in a um, Frank Sidebottom style, or has it got a bit more of no, a? No, it's really diverse. And the one, the Cynthia Lennon's on there. Uh, Deepak Chopra, the kind of new age kind of guru guy, he's on there. But then there's lots of musicians who we kind of all know. Who uh, who can I think of? Like Curtis King, who uh, is a uh, soul singer, but uh, was a backing vocalist. Oh, right, Durant fantastic. Thing. Um, there's lots of people like that, people who've, who, do do? who are quite well known in their own right, but not mega famous, but kind of who you would know their name if you heard heard it. Yeah. Do they do a ukulele version of Revolution Number no. 9 then? 
Yeah. Wow. The complete oh, works. Go check it out. It's so cool. It's really. I oh, will send us a link and I'll put that in the show notes as well if I get the chance. Thank you very much, though. Great. I'm okay. glad you remember that, Mark. And um, well, we'll come to you, Gaz, and say thank you also for joining us. Um, um, fresh back from from Japan, it'd be great to have a chat with you offline. We can maybe. I know you've been checking out uh, Aurea. Is that right? The uh, iPad recording system. Yep, I've been, uh, I've been, and I did some recording with it when I was over in Japan. I was, I've been putting it through its paces, and uh, yeah, a very impressive piece of software it is. Brilliant. Well, we'll look forward to that for a Sonic Touch future episode. That'll be fantastic. Anyway, that's it for Sonic Talk this week. That was Sonic Talk number two hundred and. 78 goodness me i think i'll play out with a little bit more of the uh juno 2012 uh if i can i think it's going to play or if i just crashed the system let's have a look there we go and i'll just fast forward it a bit because uh, we heard a little bit of it i'm just gonna some great sounds that came out of it that was, i think they were further on there we go there were the bell light ones that you mentioned anyway this was the Juno 2012 made by Alan Dicker of uh, audio-presto.co.uk.